the Senate is considering the first Supreme Court nomination in almost seven years. And Neil Gorsuch, a judge of the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals in Denver, is just three key votes away from joining the court. What are those three votes and what's going to happen is the topic of this week's Big Story podcast. I'm David Hawking, senior editor of CQ Roll Call, and joining me here in our new podcast studio on K Street is Todd Ruger, who covers legal affairs for CQ. Good morning, Todd. Hi, David. How are you? I'm terrific. Uh, Let's start with something easy, which is if you could just explain simply what are the three votes? What's the process um, that starts on Monday? Right. So the first the first vote that's going to happen is at the committee. The uh, Judge Gorsuch appeared before the committee last week in an effort to uh, to air his views on everything that he would do as a Supreme Court justice, his background, look into his decisions. And so all of the all of the senators on that committee have asked him follow up questions. They'll be getting answers to those follow up questions and then voting on Monday how to report his nomination to the Senate floor. And is there any mystery about how that Judiciary Committee vote's going to go? Uh, no, I don't think so. There's 20 members of the committee. There are 11 Republicans, nine Democrats. The Republicans on the committee are all solidly behind Judge Gorsuch, and none of them ha- have, have said anything about that would indicate that they would not vote to report him favorably to the Senate floor. The Democrats on the other side have almost all said they've opposed um, they oppose his nomination from going forward at all and will probably vote against him. But that's still 11 to 9 would, on a party line vote would move him to to the Senate floor reported favorably. And that will happen the next day? That would happen immediately. I believe uh, the, the Republicans are very keen on getting this confirmation through in the, in the first week of April, which is uh, the last week before a two-week recess. Right. So as I understand it, Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, has, uh, if not orchestrated it just this way, that he, he knows that nothing focuses the mind of senators like an impending two-week recess. And so he has arranged for this to come before the Senate with only a few days left before that scheduled recess and told the senators, uh, you can go home for recess as soon as you have confirmed Judge Gorsuch. But there, So that's the first vote. We said we said there were three big votes. First one's pretty predictable, 11 to 9 party line vote. Then it gets interesting because Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer has promised to uh, wage a paper filibuster. I'm going to call it a paper filibuster. This is not uh, for those watching TV and expecting to see uh, round-the-clock speech-making and reading from cookbooks and the Bible. That's not what we're talking about here. This is a filibuster on paper only. And that means that at least eight Democrats would need to vote with all the Republicans to break that filibuster uh, and make Judge Gorsuch's confirmation sort of easy. What what at this uh, at this point as we're talking, what do the d- dynamics look like for that? The dynamics for that do not look good for Republicans uh, if they want to get 60 votes uh, to, as you say, easily get to a confirmation vote. So the Democrats have said, we are going to require you to get 60 votes. They if if they don't well if they do get if he does get sixty votes then it would move on to the actual third vote which we'll get to but um, in this particular case it it doesn't right now look like they will get to those sixty and so the next the next step would be on uh, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and whether he wants to break this long held Senate rule about uh, filibusters for Supreme Court justices and um, it it. He has given every indication that he will do that. Everybody that's spoken out in the Republican caucus has said they would be willing to do this, to 
break this tradition, go with uh, only needing 50 votes in order to confirm a, to have a vote on the Supreme Court justice. So this is what we mean when we talk about the nuclear option and uh, people like my sister who try and follow uh, Washington still don't quite understand why we call it the nuclear option when we're talking about something that doesn't mean an actual mushroom cloud. We're talking metaphorically here that what we mean is is that the Senate really since its origins in the late 18th century the Senate has distinguished itself from the House by by tolerating and even cultivating virtually unlimited debate. Uh, and this and and yet four years ago, when the partisan shoes were on the other feet, and it was Harry Reid who was then the majority leader, and a, a fellow Democrat in the White House, Barack Obama, unable to fill very many seats on courts of appeals and other nominations, it was Harry Reid and the Democrats who first went nuclear and engineered a vote that did away with the filibuster on all nominations except for the Supreme Court. Do I have that right? Yeah, and, and what I think is interesting about the word nuclear actually is I, uh, you know, when I first heard it, I, I got to Washington after the Gang of 14. Back in, back in the Bush, George W. Bush administration, there were Democrats were blocking a lot of judges and there was talk back then of doing this of nuclear option. And there was a Gang of 14 that got together to save the, the Senate rule. Uh, and to keep filibusters. And so then um, I, I, when I first heard about that, I thought nuclear option. You know, I know that's what everybody calls it, but why? And I think what's interesting about it is it's almost mutually assured destruction. Now that Democrats have, have taken this step, the Republicans feel no hesitation in, in completing the, the, the nuclear option for Supreme Court justices because the Democrats did it for lower court judges. And so you've got sort of this mutually assured destruction where now once it's once it's happened, it's gone down this path, and looks like there's no there's no rescuing the filibuster right now for Supreme Court. And it is it is nuclear. I mean, which means dramatic and and dis destructive in an unprecedented way. Because once you have done away with the filibuster, you have done away with the essence of what makes the Senate the Senate, and you have essentially, as as one senator told me just this morning, he said. What doing the nuclear option means is that I'll essentially have a six-year House term instead of a two-year House term. I'll just be a House member with only 99 colleagues in my little house and a six-year term. But in every other way, it'll just be like I'm a House member because it'll be simple majority rule and kind of what's the fun in that. Now, that having been said, this, this senator is a Republican, and he feels like he's going to be essentially obligated to vote for this, that Mitch McConnell is not going to take no for an answer. He will have to put it to a vote, but it will be a huge test of McConnell's leadership, and he's going to insist that all 51 fellow Republicans vote with McConnell, the 52nd, to say yes to this. Right. Um, I, and I think what's interesting is, is not only is it the Senate traditions that are sort of uh, at risk here, but also the, the tradition of the Supreme Court. When I think about the this particular nomination, Donald Trump, President Trump, had a list of, of 20, 21 names that he was picking off of. And there were three finalists, and one of them was uh, a, a judge in Alabama named William Pryor. He's also a, a federal appeals court uh, judge, has the same conservative credentials as Neil Gorsuch, the current nominee. But he has said um, much more outspoken criticisms of Roe v. Wade, which was one of President Trump's big re, you know, criteria for picking a, a Supreme Court nominee. So when, you know, when, these th were the th when he was one of the three finalists, people said, well, Pryor has said these things about Roe v. Wade, and we need, you know, Democrats would say, we would need to block him, we would need to filibuster him. And then when, but when he, when Trump eventually picks Judge Gorsuch, who's more moderate on on that view at least, 
um, publicly. Maybe he avoided a bigger Senate fight by picking the more moderate person or the, the, the one that would draw the least fire from, from uh, women's rights groups, right? So the next time there's an opening on the Supreme Court, who would Trump pick if he doesn't have to win over any Democrats? If all he has to do is hold the Republican line, he might pick somebody that's more of an ideologue on, the, on one side or the other. And if a Democrat becomes a president, they might be tempted to uh, pick an ideologue on the other side if they, if they have control of the Senate. And so what it risks is maybe a, a, a justices being picked for the high court who are more political or, or more ideological than in the middle. So you, you make an interesting point there in, in, that last, in that last bit, which is that sooner or later there is going to be a Democratic president and sooner or later uh, the, the shoes will once again be on the other feet. But, but another reason why we call this the nuclear option is, as with a nuclear bomb, once it goes off, it's really hard to put things back the way they once were. This is, this is once and for all. Once the filibuster is taken away, uh, there's really no th- thought that any future uh, Senate majority would, would uh, eviscerate its new hard-won power by saying, okay, we can have filibusters again, right? There's, I mean, this is, this is, this is it for, one, for once and for all. And then, and this, this is maybe a, a discussion for another day, but once the filibuster is taken away on the Supreme Court, all that's left is the filibuster on legislation, but having slid down this slope, taken away the filibuster four years ago for all nominees except the court, now the court, hard to see how sooner or later they don't go nuclear on plain old legislation as well. Right. I mean, it's, it's like trying to catch a falling knife. Where are you going to grab that and not get cut? So to back up just a second, Todd, let's, let's just remind one another, why don't Democrats like Neil Gorsuch? What's, I mean, he seems... He seems, for those who watch the hearings, like he's a reasonable fellow. He seems like a serious guy. He seems um, he, he behaved in many ways like other modern Supreme Court justice nominees have behaved, which is to say he didn't show his cards too very much. What are the Democrats digging in against? There's several fronts that, on, that they're pushing. One is they are very much opposed to Donald Trump and his presidency and are interested in getting the way, in the way of, of Donald Trump and his pick. The number two, they're sort of pushing this. He's under an FBI investigation right now, and maybe we shouldn't move forward with a Supreme Court nomination while President is under FBI investigation. But then that those things said, they they feel that he is too uh, he is two sides too often on with big businesses over the little guy, as they kept saying, big guy over the little guy. That his his decisions are predictably conservative. And that he would be uh, in the mold of Scalia or even more conservative than the late Justice Antonin Scalia. Uh, and, and so they're concerned about uh, women's rights, civil rights, voting rights. And uh, for those reasons are, are saying he did not say enough at this confirmation hearing to convince them that he would be fair and impartial on those issues. He did. He, Judge Gorsuch, did seem to make a important point or make a big deal out of his uh, view of of himself as judicially independent from the president who had appointed him and he seemed to that seemed to be his 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 trump card to use that uh, to go down that unfortunate cliche but but um judge gorsuch did say yes i i he reiterated in public the the words that he'd said about uh, dis, dispiriting and disheartening when when president trump criticizes judges and and still not enough one would have to assume that knit up in everything you all also said is anger among the Democrats that 
they didn't fill this seat when President Obama was president with with Merrick Garland. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you uh, you do a disservice to both sides when you don't talk about the long history of partisan warfare when it comes to Supreme Court nominations and um, and they are very angry about Neo, uh, Merrick Garland, Obama's pick, not getting a vote uh, or a hearing. And that that is uh, what a lot of their constituents and their base is is lighting up their phones with this with these arguments. And uh, it, it will be, I think, hard for a Democrat to go against all that groundswell of opposition to Trump and anger about Merrick Garland. As we, we are speaking, I believe there's only one Democrat, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, who is prepared to vote uh, with the Republicans to break this filibuster. But there's still some time between now and early next week for that dynamic to change. Uh, so we, we will all be watching uh, very intently to see if the Supreme Court gets its first new member in seven years. Thanks for joining me, Todd Ruger, legal affairs correspondent for CQ. I'm David Hawkins, senior editor of CQ Roll Call. This has been the Big Story Podcast. And thank you for joining us. And you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or NPR One. Thank you.